Sri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara Jai. Welcome. Good afternoon. So we've been talking for a couple of days now, an evening and a day, and we've been talking about the nature of transcendence and the means of of going there. And typically on my visits here, we do uh, programs like this twice a year where I speak at the bhakti shop, usually on a Friday night, isn't it? And then we meet here in the afternoon on Saturday, as we did yesterday, this time, and again here on Sunday. And typically on Sunday I ask for questions. So, are there any questions about anything? Put you on the spot. Huh? <laughs> yes. I haven't been here for the last couple of days, so what were you talking about the last couple of days? <laughs> well, we were, it's a big, long talk, but <laughs> we talked about the nature of transcendence, and we talked about it in light of a tantric um, statement that goes something like this, as above, so below, as above, so below. The idea being that there, there's, there's a, a world, to use this, you know, spatial language, uh, above and below, and they're the same, but I explained that they're they're different at the same time. They're the same in as much as a reflection and the actual image are the same. If you look in the mirror, then yourself and that which is imaged on the mirror are the same except for one major difference. The difference is that everything's turned around backwards on the mirror. Or if you stand on the river, for example, and you would see the image of a tree, it would be there, but it would be upside down. Hmm? And so we talked about how by examining carefully the nature of our experience in this world below, so to speak, hmm, we could... um, learn something about the nature of transcendence and um, turn the whole thing around, right side up, if you will. And so we examined at great length the nature of material existence and, and the most, we concluded that the most significant experience that we have in this world below, if you will, is the fact that we experience so that's a big topic. <laughs> and from there we spoke about the difference between that which experiences and that which is experienced and the fact that we have experience of both. We are units of experience and then there are things that we experience that in and of themselves are not experiential. They are not conscious, in other words. Central to experience or to consciousness is the possibility of experiencing. Hmm? And so we analyze the fact that within our experience we are a unit of experiencing and there are things that are that don't experience. That they're very different from us then. Hmm? Objects, things. And it would seem from that that we're not a thing. Because things don't experience. But we do. Hmm? And so, uh, from there we talked a little bit about how 
the 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 things often seem to gain more credibility hmm, than the experiencer of the things and gathering them and collecting them, manipulating them, exploiting them, hmm, acquiring them becomes the, the focus of the experiencing entity hmm, who thinks erroneously that by attaching myself to things I'll be more. And in the context of doing that it loses sight, the experiencer, of how much more it really is. It experiences. Hmm? And matter doesn't. Hmm? And so to, to lose sight of that and place value then in things hmm, at the cost of understanding our inherent worth as a subjective unit of experience that gives worth or value, posits worth or value on things without which they don't have any value. Hmm? This is the, this is the predicament we kind of find ourselves in, and it's 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 very um, uh, delusional, dysfunctional, <laughs> if you if you will. Hmm? And so, we talked about it at great length with many examples to underscore and illustrate the point, the nature of the predicament and so forth, and how we are, as a result of this identification with with the non-experiencing and the objective world, we, the subjective experiencers, are kind of on a hunt of taking things, gathering, acquiring things, and that when we do that and we attach ourselves to things and label them as mine, hmm? when, I mean, time tells us that nothing belongs to us. There's a false identity that's created from this my, because nothing's really mine. If I say, this is my car, this is my house, this is my wife, these are my kids, I'm saying, this is me. Hmm? But if nothing, nothing is mine, actually, in reality, then the I that is derived from that false sense of my is very false very fleeting, and not something that we can rely upon. And so we're trying to chase after this I that doesn't really exist. No wonder we're sometimes, if not most of the time, if not all of the time, on some level, experiencing some discomfort and lack of, and and, and insecurity. There's very, very good reason for it. And it won't be resolved by by psychological... uh, Advices that may be helpful to an extent, but it won't be resolved. Hmm? Psychology deals with our psychic dimension. We have a physical dimension, but we are the ones that animate both of them. Hmm? And it's we that are feeling some discomfort, like a fish outside of water, something like that. So, it's imperative that we make a solution uh, to this. And if we examine this... I'm just talking about our our experience in a particular way that may cause people to think, yes, that is what I'm experiencing. That is what I'm doing, more or less, and putting it in different words, perhaps. 
then uh, what this taking, if you will, acquiring, taking, and claiming its mine that we're involved in and the identity that we're forming on the basis of that false identity, this taking has repercussions because if something's not yours and you claim that it is, there are repercussions in our everyday experience. You know, the, the arm of the law is long, so especially these days <laughs> with the, you know, the technology, they're, they're looking, there's a drone out there, you know, <laughs> might be one in here. So, uh, so, uh, so there are repercussions in our daily experience. So from a metaphysical point of view, as I'm speaking of it, hmm, there are repercussions for a life of taking that's called karma. Hmm? You know, what you sow, so you reap. Something like that. The implication being simply that there are, there are consequences for actions. People say, I don't believe in karma. Or, you know, okay. But we're just saying there are consequences for actions. And we see that readily. And we, we, and we feel that they extend even as far as our thoughts. Hmm? Our thoughts have repercussions. We don't live alone. We're not an island unto ourselves. Hmm? We're relating in an environment from a particular perspective that's illusory. Perspective is an I based on a my that's false. So I'm mishandling the whole environment. Anyone and everyone and everything I come in touch with. No wonder I feel uncomfortable. (laughs) There are repercussions some of them subtle and it's hard to trace out and so forth, but this is the basic principle. There are consequences. There are rep- this is the idea of karma. And so we're, we're, we're running after things, but the same things are chasing us. So it's sometimes depicted like that. Sangsara. It's a circle. Hmm? Round and round and round and round we go. Hmm? Round and how do they go? And, you know, carousel of time, she said, something like that. Um, so this is the problem what's the solution stop taking how will you do that (laughs) that's easier said than done answer start giving because to stop taking is inside of giving but giving is not entirely inside of not taking Hmm? So the opposite of taking is giving. So we said that this world is a reflection of that world. Hmm? So there must be a world of giving. There's a world of taking. Hmm? And we are taken by it at the moment. Hmm? But even in the context of that, we have some experience also that by giving, although it's, it transcends reason, we get we also have some slight experience of that, that on some level, even in the context of our taking, we also give. Partially, hmm? with some calculation, with less calculation at times, in a way, to, to something that's not worthy of, uh, of, of, of taking from us. So, but sometimes we, we, we do it a little better than at other times, and we feel that the... the we experience the aphorism that getting is, uh, you know, it, uh, giving is the getting. We cannot turn hold up and say, look, 
I gave and I got this, everybody. But we feel it, we know it in a way that transcends word. Hmm? I'm more and I'm better. I'm fuller and I'm happier having given. Hmm? It's intangible but so tangible. Hmm? You see, that was this actually most tangible. It is um, beyond words. There's a word for that. It's escaping me at the moment. Ineffable, yes. Hmm? That which is most tangible is ineffable. Because if I can put it in, in, in into words, obviously it has it, it's, it's 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 feelings, uh, which are tangible. <laughs> we're you know units of feeling and so forth. They just even materially speaking, feelings seem to be more than than words. So we try to express them in other ways that words may limit, but through painting or through art or, 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 or whatever. Hmm? So I want to say the most tangible things aren't things, but <laughs> but we are most tangible reality, the experiencer. And hmm, that reality uh, is, is, uh, is, is ineffable. We can speak about it, but we can never say enough to have captured it. Because if, it, if we could capture it in, in language and in thought, it will not be all that it's said to be. Hmm? It has to be. The limits of language and thought are known to us. Hmm? How can they capture something that is... Uh, that, that, is um, that nature of experience, for example. So, so there's a world of taking. Arguably, there's a world... Of giving, and we have some, some, even in the context of our being involved in the world of taking, some experience of that world, hmm? the world above. We have some experience of it, a shadow of it, if you will, and in the form of giving, even if it's calculated, I'll give, I'll get something back, and the less that calculation is involved and so forth, and the more centered that giving is on an object worthy of being given to, that's capable of reciprocating, for example. The closer I come to experiencing the nature of that world, and the experience is on all of us, I'm not talking about something that everybody doesn't have experience of. The experience is, I feel better, I feel more full, I feel more complete, I feel bigger. I feel bigger and smaller at the same time. Hmm? See, when you... When you actually feel as big as you are, as a unit of consciousness, you feel very small at the same time. And it feels big to be small. Hmm? I know it's quite zen, but uh, (laughs) they got some things right too. So (laughs) why not? The Buddha was quite a smart fellow. So, So we have some slight experience, I want to say, of that realm, even in the context of our taking and being absorbed in the world below. Hmm? And the experience is that there's a world of giving, there's a space, worlds of experience we're talking about. That's all they are, really. There is an objective world here, but we only have our experience of it. Hmm? You can never touch matter. You can never touch matter. We can only experience a semblance 
of matter. That's how different we are as an experiencer, as an animate being from the inanimate and the, in, and the unexperiencing objects of the world. Hmm? Very different. Hmm? So, so, a world of giving, and the idea is, to, so how we will go there then? How we will go there? Well, that's easy. You have to start giving. You have to think, you have to hone the giving. Hmm? So you have to take out the, the mode of forgetting that's, in, that's, that's somehow embedded in there. But how is it embedded in there? How deeply is our attaching some getting to our giving? How deeply embedded it is. It is, it is, it is as, as deeply embedded as we are absorbed in that false sense of my, or of I, that comes from our my. Hmm? That means as much as you think, I'm an American, I'm a woman, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, hmm? I'm a son, hmm? I'm a Hindu, I'm a Catholic, I'm an Islamic person. Hmm? These are all designations, hmm? really. Some of them religious ways, but limited ways of talking about something that transcends that uh, ability to talk about it and ritualistic orientation to it. There are better religious ideas and lesser religious ideas within every religious tradition. Hmm? There are mystical sides to all of the religions, and then there are fundamentalist sides, as which we're more acquainted with. Mystics tend to be a little quieter, and and they only come every so often around. <laughs> not all, not not who you meet every day, so to speak, type people. Hmm? But the the real I, if you will, transcends all of these things. Hmm? And some traditions may talk about it better than others or in languages more appealing to us than others, given our psychology, and we may embrace them and so on and so forth. And they may take us to different degrees within transcendence. That's also possible, after all. It's as variegated a realm as this world is, full of variety, hmm? different possibilities of loving. There are devotees of Ram, of Krishna, of um, this one and that one. Hmm? So many different emotional waves in the ocean of God's uh, life that constitute different avatars and aspects of, of, of the Godhead. Hmm? Our particular focus is on the, arguably the heart of the Godhead in the form of Krishna, the romantic heart of the, the love life of the Absolute. Hmm? So we're getting a little bit into transcendence and the fact that it's variegated and there are different departments and possibilities there and so forth. Hmm? We talked yesterday at length about some kind of underlying ground of unity of consciousness that that this variety in that realm grows out of. Hmm? Now one can go there or just sit there quietly or one can, by not giving or by not taking, but by giving, which is what bhakti is about, one can go arguably beyond that or into into movement and transcendence and difference in transcendence that doesn't compromise unity. Like here, our differences compromise unity. You think it's hot, I think it's cold. 
or maybe vice versa, or maybe we both think it's fine, but somebody else, whatever, good, bad, happy, sad, these are all relative perceptions derived from our minds and senses. Hmm? They're differences. They get in the way of us coming together and experiencing the unity that we sense life must ultimately should be, could be, wish it would be about. Hmm? So we try to arrive at it politically by peace marches and by wars and and uh, you know by economically and so on and so forth. This is another way of arriving at it. You decide for yourself whether it's speaking about it in a more comprehensive way. But you should know that if it if it is speaking about it in a more comprehensive way, the way of going is very consuming hmm? as well. You won't go there casually. Uh, you have to have both both eyes open, so to speak. Both listen very carefully, pay good attention. Like this. So it's good to have good company where these things can be talked about. I'm just talking about it in a general way. We play this out in much greater detail in the previous couple of days. But we determined, as we are in brief and synopsis here today, the means of going there is non-different from what goes on there. Therefore, as it's sometimes said, practice makes perfect. You have to but to perfect the practice. An apple is an apple is an apple, but some are ripe, some are unripe, and some are in between, but they're all apples. So there's giving, or to use the Sanskrit term here, bhakti, properly centered on the center on the on the, the 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 fire that we are the spark of, hmm? I gave the analogy of the stomach. If if you want to give to your body nourishment, well, every bit of food has to go to the stomach, and no other parts of the body can complain about that. If the tongue complains, I'm gonna keep it here. It tastes good. Yeah. Then, what is its future, right? So we have to give everything to the stomach. But when we do, what happens? It's distributed in a way to every other part of the body that no other part of the body could could do. This is the nature of the center. Therefore, the center, who is depicted, for example, in our tradition as a taker, Krishna, he's an enjoyer, kind of a playboy of sorts, cow cow herder. Um, But he's actually giving. Because... The actual center has a different function than the circumference, and so when the when the when the part serves the whole, the part's interests are served. If I have a machine here, you know, whatever, and we take a part of it and put it on the floor, and what are we going to do with it? We look at it. What what is it? Maybe we find something to do with it, and so forth. But how much more meaningful it, its life will be? It's connected to the machine. Of course, this is a machine that can live without its parts. Hmm. Doesn't want to, but gives them some autonomy. Hmm. Love requires a little bit of voluntariness, if you will, willingness. Hmm. So he wills that we would will hmm, to do something reasonable and more hmm, to give hmm, than to get by that and comprehensively. So this bhakti hmm, 
is 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 a kind of a science of of giving, an art of giving, if you will, and it it takes three shapes: giving or bhakti in practice, hmm? bhakti in ecstasy, and bhakti in in divine love. Hmm? Bhakti in ecstasy is cultivated and turned from bhava into prema. Have you ever seen those? I get a T-shirt that says about Bhava. What do they say? Feel the Bhav, something like that. <laughs> yeah, you won't get that by wearing a T-shirt. I can tell you that. <laughs> it's not like that. These ideas tend to be cheapened sometimes by people who don't want to pay the price for them, and the price is large. There's no, there's no doubt about it. It's great, but but. But the gain is 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 it is is inestimable, inestimable, and we should be encouraged by the fact that we can start somewhere, hmm? and by and and know. That's why it's good to talk about these things to understand. If I start here, I know what I'm doing. I've made a step in this direction. This is like it may be a baby step, but it's huge compared to every other step I've taken in every other form of life and every, every, every mile I've flown and every, every ocean I've swum as a fish, as a bird, as a frog, in between there, the reptiles, animals, on four legs, two legs. Hmm. Hmm. However crude, however sophisticated, this step in the direction of bhakti, this is huge, small step. Hmm. So we go in that direction then, more, we get more help, more, possi- more possibility for going forward. Some guidance will come to help us go in a systematic way and so forth. So it's a glorious thing, even in practice. Hmm? Bhakti in practice. I mean, how do you practice giving? It's like, how do you practice loving? Think about it. <laughs> now you have to practice loving. You say, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, you just, it just happens. You fall in love and whatever, and it's magical. And, uh, of course, it goes away too, So because it's just a reflection of the real idea of love. And it's, it's, it's two false identities chasing one another and so on and so forth. So, but, you know, there's real love. And... Uh, and and there's a way to practice it. And basically, the way to practice it is kind of like, well, how would you know about it anyway? Well, you, you meet somebody that has it, who talks about it, who can't stop talking about it, or finds, you know, takes great relish in that. Hmm? We find that, and we, we think we find that compelling. Hmm? We find that attractive, and so we we attach ourselves to that person, and then what he or she does, we do those things too. Hmm? And then we think, I felt a little feeling, is that it? Is that what it's like? And he says, or she says, yeah, kind of, but really it says, when it comes, you won't ask the question. You'll know. Hmm? What is bhava? This answers all the questions. I thought I was tasting bhava. Now, what do you think? <laughs> Stop thinking, I say. Keep chanting, something like that. There's a story. There was a girl, young lady. She was pregnant, and so she was very close to going into labor. It was overdue, so she told her mother. She said, "I'm going to take rest. 
I'm going to go to sleep. I'm tired now. So if I go into labor, wake me up, okay? <laughs> Mother said, you'll know. <laughs> you won't need me to wake you. There's something like that. <laughs> hmm? But if it doesn't come right away, don't be discouraged. That's why it's important to understand the philosophical underpinnings of this enterprise and this, 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 this journey, if you will. Hmm? So, because it's wise love that we're talking about, so it's important that you understand the wisdom of what is not love, what appears like love, what the predicament is materially that we're in, as I was speaking about, that can steady you on the path before really profound reciprocation, if if you will, uh, comes and you and you perfect the art of giving. Of course, you're encouraged because you naturally want to associate with other people who are involved in this practice and you, and you share notes and you get encouragement from one another about what you even learn intellectually about the theory and so forth. And, oh, I didn't understand that before. And so this way it kind of keeps you going and you're practicing loving something like that. But just like this, let's say, for example, you find someone who you feel has deep, deep spiritual experience, for example, on the path of bhakti, so you become attracted to that. And so then, you know, you want to imitate that. You want to do the things that they're doing. It's like when I was young, I'm 64 this month, when I was a kid, you know, we used to line up at the bus, you know, to go to school and what. And if a girl liked you, hmm, then she'd find out, like, what your favorite color was, was and show up in a blue dress that day, you know. And so, so this is kind of like the idea of practicing love or something like that. You find out that somebody likes that. So you think... This guy acts like this, and he's talking about somebody up there named Krishna or whatever, and, and, he, and he seems to like that, so I'll do that too, something like that. And this is kind of the idea of how to practice love, something like that. And we stumble along, and it's cute in a way from, um, <laughs> from another you know, vantage point. Uh, but, but it has great power in it. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say let's say you want to build a house. All right. So I say to you, okay. Um, what's your name? Paulette. Paulette. Okay, Paulette. You want to build a house? I'm going to design this house for you, and then I'm going to ask you, what do you think? Do you like it? So I design it. Let's say you really like it. You're just thrilled with it. It's a two-story building, and in the top, it's got a little extra attic, like viewing room. You know, for the and it's just really fantastic. So I show you the plans. And it's all in 3D and colored, and you're excited about it. And I said, oh, so you hire me. I'm going to build your house. So then I, you ask for. I'm out there for about a month or two, and you know, and, and, and you ask me, I'd like to come and see the house. You know, I say, yeah, sure. You know, come on out. So Paula, you come over and you look, and all you see is a hole in the ground. And you're thinking, you know, it was supposed to be like up there, and it's just a hole in the ground. You understand my point? You have to have a foundation to a building. So when you go forward and you build this house of bhakti, hmm? I want to enter into the world of giving, there's some like digging <laughs> that has to go on first. There are things in our hearts, I, an identity, a whole identity really, based on my, which is false. So some of these my's have to be you know, gradually like understood for what they are and let go of. Hmm? So this chanting will produce a kind of a cleansing of the heart, if you will. It's kind of talked about like that, whereby, where the, where the, where the futility of our attachments starts to become so apparent 
that it's it's easy to, to let, let them go and they're, they're meaningless and and so this this is kind of like building the foundation. It's not exactly ecstasy, but but you do feel a little bit lighter hmm, when you lessen your load, if you will, of extra baggage that you're carrying around. Hmm. So this is bhakti in in practice, and it reaches a certain stage within practice where actually the heart is is cleansed. It's like this. First, it's like you, you you weren't feeling good. You went to the doctor. The doctor said, you've got this problem. And oh my God. And he said, but I've got the solution. Here is the medicine. Ha, ah, there's some relief on your part. There's a cure. Hmm? It works. So you take the medicine because... You know that you have a problem, and you have confidence in the doctor and his remedy, and he shows you these other people had this; they're they're cured now. You see, and so you so so you have confidence. So you take the medicine, hmm? you know. It's uh, dutifully you're taking the medicine, hmm? and. After a while, of course, the medicine starts to take an effect. So this spiritual practice is like medicine, but at a certain point, it turns into food. It's, uh, the analogy is breaking down a little bit, but it turns into food. What is medicine at first? I'm taking it because I should take it. I should chant. My guru told me to chant on this rosary like this, this mala so many times, every day. Don't let the mind deviate you from that every day. So some days, you know, the mind is more troublesome than other days, but I do it anyway. I take the medicine, I chant. And then someday, my mind stops. And all I can hear is the chanting. And I think, oh, there's something in this chanting that I didn't know. I feel something extraordinary. Then the mind talks, goes goes back again. So then you come back and... You, you, you're starting to be cured. Hmm? It's tangible. You can feel it, experience it. It's like nothing you've experienced before. And then this, this chanting, which is I'm talking about is medicine, I say, turns into food. How do you relate to food and how do you relate to medicine? Medicine you do dutifully. Food you do without thinking about it. Or you think about it. When can I eat it? Hmm? How much more can I have? Hmm? So there's a stage within what we call bhakti and practice called ruchi, where there's a, there's a ta- ruchi means taste, there's a taste for these things. And the taste is described in a very interesting way. Nadanam, nadanam, nasundarim, kopitam ba. He has no desire for worldliness, for, 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 for concern for, for his personal economic situation, for the need for a relationship, the need for any kind of prestige or distinction, for learning, all these things become, uh, have no value hmm, for him or her. Hmm. So a taste for bhakti means no taste for the world. Hmm. I lost a taste, it has no charm for me anymore. And I'm charmed by the bhakti itself, just by the chant, Mama Janmani Janmanishwari. I don't even mind if I 
stay in the world forever as if I can go on with this, something like that. So the food, the medicine turns into food and, and, and it's spontaneous, the practice and so forth. And then an attachment develops, a healthy attachment. Hmm? From an attachment to the practice to an attachment to the object of the practice, the Godhead, Krishna, for example, in a particular way. Hmm? In terms of a particular sentiment of love. After all, the Godhead is, is all love, so all loving sentiments must be found there. Hmm? All possibilities of love found in relation to the Godhead. Hmm? properly centered, like you have friendly love, parental love, you have romantic love, and so forth. Some semblance of, we find here, of that which has its full face and expression there in the world above. So, as this attachment for the object of love, the object of love now being spiritual, a significant consciousness other, hmm, that's the source that we're all the sparks of, the fire that we're the sparks of, a relationship with that source develops, and it's based on a sense of, the source is mine. We used to think all kind of things were ours, and there was a, nothing was ours. Hmm? But the source is ours, actually. We are the sources, and, and so on and so forth. So, an identity forms on the basis of this attachment. Hmm? A particular kind of identity. identity. A bhava identity. A deha, a body. A bhava deha. A body of ecstasy. Hmm? It constitutes a certain type of loving for the absolute, like romantic love, like fraternal love, like paternal love, uh, something. And one enters into what are called lila. Lila means the opposite of karma. If the karma is a life of taking, lila is a life of, of giving. If karma is work, hmm, lila is play, something like that. And God plays, and he plays hard. Hmm. Why? Because God is omniscient. And omniscience is boring. If you knew everything, then what do you do? Then you have to play. Hmm? You see? So, <laughs> there you go. So the, the, the Godhead's world is like, like a, the daydream of God. Like you daydream, I would never do this, I would like to do that. But as soon as he thinks, I would like to do that, it happens. I would like to be this, I would like to be that. So we think of the center as just being whatever it wants to be. This is what we want to do. We want to do whatever we want, whenever we want. That's what we want. That's what reality is doing. We're just not in sync with it. So the reality, the center is doing whatever it wants, whenever it wants. It's just playing. That's all. It means it has nothing to accomplish. Fully accomplished. So when you fully accomplish, then you just celebrate that dancing playing. Hmm? And so the idea in bhakti is to participate in that. Hmm? Participate in that. That is called lila. Hmm? And from our present vantage point, kind of a deluded vantage point, we want to do what we can do, what is what is what, what reality is about, but we're, we're looking at the whole thing upside down, backwards, as if ourselves were the center. Huh, that, so that has you have to turn that around. And then, so something like this is what we were talking about. Interesting, huh? Yeah, another question? So with regard to giving, so how do we know who to give and what to give? Right, well... Yeah. How do we discriminate? 
Okay, yeah. What to give? Because people want a lot from us. Right, people want a lot. <laughs> and we're people. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, I think that... Um, what do you have to give? That would be a good way to start. I answer your question with a question. What do you have to give? We already discussed it. Nothing's ours. Nothing really belongs to us. And time will prove that point. Right? You know, I live in California. Well, one of my monsters is in Northern California in the Redwoods. And I go there sometime in the Redwoods and I think, this tree's been here for a long time. How many people said this was mine? And the tree just laughing there. <laughs> It's laughing, you understand? And, they pay, and I paid the whole mortgage, and it's mine. And, 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 you know. So, uh, everything's changing hands here. Hmm? That doesn't mean it doesn't belong to anybody. Just, we just know it doesn't belong to me. If, if I conclude it doesn't belong to me, it's not logical to jump from there that it doesn't belong to anybody. Because then once you say it doesn't belong to anybody, then you say, might as well be mine. <laughs> no. So, to really comprehensively overcome our sense of false ownership, we have to locate the actual proprietor. Hmm? I've often said that a decent person, upon knowing the proprietor of a thing, will lose his or her ambition to enjoy it for themselves. Let's say you're standing in line at the grocery store and somebody drops a $20 bill, the man in front of you. What are you going to do, step on it? Or you're going to say, well, you know, it's right here. It's, it's obviously belongs to him. Here you go, sir. And then you get the prestige of being a good person. I mean, you should do that. But <laughs> but then if you just go out and it's just blowing in the wind, one company, you know, I'll keep that one. You know. But the point is, knowing the proprietor of a thing hmm, diminishes in a, in a decent and honest person the tendency to enjoy it for oneself. So if we are predicament, our problem is largely a false sense of proprietorship, we will make a comprehensive solution to that by finding the actual proprietor to whom everything belongs. What's the nature of that person or entity or, or being? I mean, that's a very abstract <laughs> thought. Hmm? So, so first point, what you ask what to give, and we ask, what do you have? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> so, problem. <laughs> no, you have something, but it's not a thing. Hmm. It is you. Hmm. You have to give yourself. No, oh, I just wanted to give something. <laughs> I want to give myself, which is part of myself, hmm? if you will, extension of myself, my false sense. I say, you have to give all those things and unravel the false self. Done? No. Now give your actual self. Of course, that's the exercise of giving yourself gradually. But who are you going to do that to? Which is your other question. Who are you going to give it to? What should I give? And who do you give it to? Because people want things, and who, where do you start? That's how you said, well, so I'm giving you, obviously, a very metaphysical answer to your question, which is appropriate given the context here. Uh, what we're gathered for, but um, but I'll try to come back to that on a down-to-earth level too for you. But um, so yeah, so where where are you going to give yourself entirely? 
Hmm. So you had to find that uh, center for giving. And sacred texts like this talk about the nature of that center. Hmm? That's what we're talking about. And the means of actually giving giving up your, your the things that don't belong to you. It's not a question of, okay, let's, let's clean out the closet and start giving this stuff away. Swami said, you know, we don't own anything, so let's, you know, give up the house. And that's not really what I'm talking about. Hmm? I'm just saying giving up the sense that it's yours. The mis, mis, misidentity that's, that, that's derived from that. And then you can keep all the things. <laughs> but then you're going to employ them all hmm, in the service of the actual proprietor and yourself as well. Your life becomes a, that of a, of, of a servant one, yourself, so to speak, along with all the, the things and whatnot. This unravels the false eye the real eye comes out. So there's a way of fully interacting with the world without being a taker and being a giver at the same time. It's quite an art. That's the art of, of living, really, progressively. So, so for this, there's spiritual practice. Hmm? The sitting, for chanting, and living within certain parameters that will be conducive for that culture and so forth. This is yoga. Hmm? This is bhakti. So that's a whole, you know, discussion what 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 the the, the the particular spiritual discipline practices and so forth. But this is the way of giving and giving everything, giving yourself and giving to the proper center. Now, in the meantime, well, okay, that sounds interesting. Kind of, I couldn't get it all, but you know, it was whatever. But you know, what do I do today? You know, so. Yeah, you know, can think about that. I would say that, that 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 of course, as much as we give, but we attach getting to it. Well, we're not going to get the full experience of giving. And secondarily, as much as we give, but we don't go to a center that's capable of taking hmm, comprehensively, then we're not going to get the full experience of giving either. Hmm? So I could give to a cause that wasn't worthy. Let's say. Hmm? Um, you know, or so anyway, we're all doing this. To, uh, we'll all think like this practically. Uh, I'll okay. I'll go out and give charity. I'll, 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 he said to give. You know, but I'm saying, yeah, start somewhere. So give somewhere. Give everywhere. Hmm? Yeah, but but I believe that if you actually cultivate the giving tendency, that the very serving tendency and giving tendency will hone your capacity to give by way of gradually bringing you in, bringing into focus that which is worthy of accepting all of your giving. The service is a living thing. So as we give, the object of our service will refine itself before us and become apparent. Hmm? But we have to understand the importance of the, the principle of giving. So when we give to an object that's not complete and comprehensive in its capacity to take and thereby reciprocate, like the stomach reciprocates in my analogy earlier, hmm? then we we find, oh, I didn't get fully here, but I got something. I don't give up giving, and then that object no longer becomes the object of my giving. Let's say, for example, we're sitting here in a room, and, and uh, Scott says, hey, you know, look, there's a really good cause in town, Swami, and there's people down the street, they're hungry, and I want to pass the hat, and please, everybody, give something. So we pass it around, and 
comes to, uh, you know, to Hari Bhakti, she says, I'm not given. Hmm? And everybody goes, ugh, you know. <laughs> well, you know. And, she, and why not? She says, Cause, because the problem here is that people are hungry. But why are they hungry? They're hungry because the mayor won't, you know, pass this law on and, and this and that. And so everybody goes, wow, that's a different perspective. Yeah. There's political oppression. That's what's causing. So, so she says, "Now I'll pass that." So everybody's giving them, "Yeah, let's change the political system." That means we're going to do away with hunger in this way, hmm? more comprehensively. Those guys are going to go hungry tonight. But anyway, <laughs> we, you know, we're going to we're going to make a bigger solution. Well, you, we want to refine the object of our giving, hmm? and so then you pass the hat politically. Comes to me and says, "I'm not." I say, "I'm not giving." Oh, I'm bad now. I have to explain myself. What I, I think, and I explain. Hunger is a problem hmm, of identification with the body. That then you're not the body, and, and I can teach you that. And show you. And everybody goes, "Wow, that's good." And, and then political corruption goes on, and you know, and we all chant it instead. <laughs> and and so the point being that giving has power in it, such that we should start somewhere. Hmm? And a good association, we can get a better idea, you know, how to give. You could give by spending time chanting, for example, like we chant Hare Krishna. You would give by spending time doing that in good association. Hmm? Then in the context of your everyday life, you know, we have opportunities to give in a lesser way, so to speak, and just kind of cultivate the, uh, the ego of a giver. That would be helpful. And gradually, more understanding of what is the best way to give and where to give it will be realized. Because, again, to give comprehensively, two things have to be in place. One thing, there can't be any motive attached to the giving. And two, you have to find a center that can actually take... How much do you have to give? Is it limited or what? As limited as you are. Hmm? We're only limited by our sense of material identification. The more we come free from that, what capacity do we have to love then? That's unlimited. Spans like a beam of light, so we have to find such an object. This is what is meant by Krishna. So Krishna is the object of love, perfect object. And that's how Krishna is depicted. If you study the text, you see, oh, they're depicting the perfect object of love in a way that relates to our human sensibilities. It's being depicted, experienced like this. Hmm? So, But every depiction, every description like this, is falls short. Gives us some some handle to, but he's that and more. The Godhead is that and and and, and more. What else? Another question, thought, comment. What's the time? I have a okay. What's the time? Two thirty-six. Okay. You said earlier in the beginning of the talk that we can't actually touch matter. Remember that? I do. <laughs> right. The idea is that the experiencer and the experienced are very different, obviously. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that the, exper- that, that the, the experienced is going to turn into an experiencer. I gave the example the other night. Don't think, and nobody would, that if you were playing pool, it's at one point the eight ball might go, ouch. 
these balls are just bouncing on a billiard table, right? Connecting with one another. We don't expect one of them to say, could you use a little more chalk next time? Could you put me in the side hole, you know, for a change? That corner hole is a little filled up. So similarly, in a larger scale, the world is full of molecules, atoms, bouncing into one another and electrons and quarks and all these kind of things. And in our brain, there are all these things bouncing around and so forth. They're no different than billiard balls in that they're non-experiential. Hmm? Don't think that, that, that just by bouncing around at one point, suddenly there was a, there was a feeling. Ouch! I! Me! Hmm? And all the m- millions of myriads of experiences that we have they're not a product of neurons firing, and to think so is as is, is, is really as illogical as thinking that one day the eight ball is going to say, ouch, it's not going to happen. From non-experience, experience does not arise. Is that reasonable? To, you know, don't expect experience to arise out of non-experience. Hmm? It's far, far more complex. <laughs> Experience than non-experience. Don't expect something to come out of nothing. So, we're very different than than matter. Uh, Another example would be like, if you take oil and take water, oil and water, they're separate. They flow together, but you can take the oil right off the top of the water. So they don't mix. In that sense, they don't touch. Hmm? Obviously, the oil, oil, the analogy is you know, slightly mm-hmm. limited. But the water, oil is floating on the but they don't mix. So we don't mix with matter means we don't touch matter. We never touch matter. Hmm? We animate matter. We are like a witness. As I said the other night, some things happen only because there's a witness. So witnessing, just a small example to make the point, witnessing has power. In other words, because I'm here, or you're here tonight, you know, and you're watching, somebody's going to do something in a particular way. Just because you're watching, are you doing anything? No, I'm just watching. But the watching has power. So the world is described as God watches it. God glances at it and it starts moving. Hmm? And the one becomes many. Hmm? And the many are like little little samples of the one. And, and they're wrapped up with the world of matter that's been animated and they're watching it. Hmm? And it's happening hmm? because they're watching it. And if they weren't watching it, it wouldn't be happening. So... You know, in science, they want to know if consciousness is different from matter and causal. Why can't we measure it and see it? Hmm? Of course, the answer to the question lies in really understanding the implications of what seeing or observing really is all about, and how different observing is and experiencing than non-experiencing and not observing. It's like wow, really different. And the more you get into understanding it, the more you can resolve the problem, so to speak. And I'm doing it in kind of a simplistic way by way of saying, 
Observing has power. Let's leave it at that. That's our experience. Hmm? It has power. I just solved the brain-mind problem (laughs) to my own satisfaction. (laughs) (laughs) Observing has power. Hmm? A certain power. Hmm? It's the whole power of the whole thing. I mean, it's it. What is there if it's not observed? If it mattered, matter, independent of consciousness, who would know about it? Who would care about it? So, what is the what is the value of observation? Inestimable. So, basically, our lives, materially speaking, is kind of like a like a virtual reality. Like, you, you know, you're on a computer, you're, you're not really in the screen there, but you've got these things hooked up to you, and you feel that you're looking in there, and you, you think that you're in there. I, I mean, I didn't do, haven't done that kind of stuff, but I'm, it's pretty developed, I understand, like computer games and things, and people like get right in there, and there's a virtual reality that they're uh, absorbed in. They're, I mean, they're sitting on a chair, and, and uh, so they never really touch that world, Right? Hmm? But by way of identification, there is a there's a contact with it, a, a non-contact contact, <laughs> something like that. Um, and so, we never really touch matter. Um, you know, uh, I think it was Heisenberg who said that we, we don't even experience the natural world, we only experience our experience of the natural world. Hmm? Which, is, which is true. So, so, so much for the objectivity of, of it all. Uh, <laughs> uh, and our observations are, of course, also based on some kind of bias often. So, at any rate, so how to get to the bottom of things is a, is a different method. There is some objectivity is required. Yoga is about being objective, being detached. If I'm attached to something, I can't be objective about it, right? I'm too close to it. Mother said, mother called, there's a saying, mother called her blind son Padmalochan. It means lotus eyes. Lotus eyes means very beautiful eyes. Oh, they're like the lotus. But he was blind. So what is she seeing? Through the eyes of her affection and attachment, she call, she sees him in a different light. Hmm? Love turns one's faults into ornaments. Hmm? Is it a bad thing? Is it true? Which is true? His eyes are ugly, or his eyes are like low. I mean, <laughs> the objective truth is he's blind. But what's the reality? Hmm? Hmm? Beauty in the eye of the beholder, these kind of things. So, so yoga, anyway, spiritual practice requires some objectivity. Detachment is the first stage in loving. If I'm going to love you, I have to step back from you and see what you are first. Objectively. Then I know how to interact with you in a loving way. If I only see you as something from you know, from my perspective instead of for what you really are, my subjective perspective, then I may abuse you. So, spiritual practice really calls for a very uh, 
strong uh, measure of objectivity and that most people are not very interested in in um, taking the trouble to 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 arrive at and demanding some people as some objective proof of the existence of the self or God. And we say, well, you know, come on over here <laughs> and uh, do it like this. Step back from matter by way of detachment through spiritual practice and then look at it and see, oh, you expect me to do all of that? Why can't you just show it to me? Well, because it's over here. <laughs> you know, you have to come over here to see it. Huh? And you have to let go of all these other things that are causing you to see it, you know, erroneously. And, and obviously you're attached to so many things. And, and I'm saying, and so we're saying you let go of these things and you see that consciousness is the observer and it's independent of matter. And, and actually it never touches matter. Hmm? It observes matter. The way in which we experience the gross world from the yogic perspective, perspective of Vedanta, is through the medium of the mind. Mind is like the sixth sense, but it's different than all of our other senses, obviously. Hmm? In all of our other senses, perception of objects is dependent upon the mind. The mind has to mind the object that the sense is focused on. If I see something with my, if I, I can look over here, but I could be thinking over there and not see what's there. My mind has to line up with my eyes, which line up with the object in order for me to see it. Hmm? So, at any rate, yeah, some objectivity is um, required for knowing. Hmm? Control of the senses, control of the mind. Mind is different than the senses, but we call it the sixth sense, which is like kind of a mystical sense in a sense. It's more flexible. It can take the shape of an object, actually. And so the self, consciousness, which is transcended to the mind as well, experiences the gross world through the subtle medium of the mind, but it never touches the mind either. Hmm? but the mind's more more like it. And so it translates the experience. And then the experience they call, for example, in, in, in science, they call it qualia, qualitative experiences. Hmm? These are the qualitative experiences of what the world is like. And it's different for different people, apparently. <laughs> different qualitative experiences. But what it's actually like, well, in Vedanta we say, what it's actually like, if you want to know in detail, is that it's not what it appears to be. And it's immeasurable. Maya, it's a Sanskrit word, it means illusion. It also means to measure. Hmm? So the attempt to measure the world, the objective world, to conquer it, in other words, to measure it. Ah, if you measured it, means you're bigger than it. You've got it. You've controlled it. This is an illusion. Hmm? You cannot do that. Mama maya duratyaya. Mama ve prapadyante maya metam. Krishna says, <laughs> he laughs, he says, that is my maya. And you never get out of that without, without my help. 
and I offer it to you. Hmm. So, oh yeah, we never, we never touch it. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> never touch it. So once, once. That's why. Excuse me. And that's why we never get anything out of it because we never even touch it. Uh, you know, I say sometimes you never get the full meal, you just get an appetizer and you get you know, indigestion from too many appetizers. So it's a problem. But actually, we, we never, we never, it's just, you never get anything. Yes? Once you, the spiritual teacher gives Krishna and you said to her that Krishna is the center of everything, and we know all that. But then for them, what is the best way to please the Lord Krishna? Was the best way to please Krishna? Yeah, because well, they're here, they're into it, and they're wondering how to do my best to be like well situated. How do you how do you love Krishna? Oh, it's not hard. <laughs> He's very lovable. <laughs> you hear about Krishna, you hear these things. This is the way. The best way is to come to gatherings like this and and associate in in a context of. Pursuing something that's actually it's real and meaningful. Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Shastriko, Lava Matra, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Siddhi High. A little bit of good, good association that will help us so much. Hmm. That's the best thing we can do. Take more association. And then you can, in the association, what you found to be valuable, you, you continue that with yourself. You, you can chant at home. Hmm. You can, like, if you like the lectures, and I have so many. I must be must be thousands of lectures like this for since last I don't know how many years so so they're all available you can online you can this one will be on tomorrow or something like that then you can take them free and so many many people listen to them and they write me and they go oh, those are really interesting talks and I say come and visit me so you're welcome to come and visit me also I come here so you should come and visit me you can find out from Hari Bhakti, Malani here, and others, Lilamari, how to, how to find me. If you like, you can come and talk to me. I came here to talk to you. So like that. You just do more of what we're doing. That's all. It's not hard. What else? Yes? I feel like the idea of Bhakti is really attractive to many people for reasons that might seem obvious to some. Um, but then when the mention of God comes into the picture, I think um, a lot of people feel um, uncomfortable or like they want to disconnect from it. They like the idea of you know what? devotion. I feel uncomfortable using the word God because <laughs> I know what you're talking about. But anyway, we'll go into that. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm wondering, is there, like, does bhakti come to some people first? Um, and then the idea of being devoted to, like, something greater than ourselves maybe come later? Or is it more of, like, a watered-down idea of bhakti? Is, is there bhakti without? Well, I, I would say, first of all, that, that, that you know, there's, there's reasons that people find, you know, the God word a little bit uncomfortable. And, and probably be mostly because of um, the prominent face of religion being divisive and and uh, you know fundamentalist and uh, and superstitious and um, and hypocritical even uh, it 's not relative to any particular tradition it 's found the largest face of every religious tradition 
uh, be it Hinduism or Buddhism or Catholicism, Christianity, the Judaic religion, Islamic tradition is is the, is the fundamentalist. That gets the most propaganda, the most publicity. It's it's the story that's that's told, um, uh, and and it's not very pretty. Hmm? And so, and it's full of laws and that don't make sense uh, that were from ancient times on a scroll and, or whatever. You know, they don't. That's, it's 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 a certain presentation of the heart of the religious tradition that's kind of broken down and and it's not uh, often very 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 attractive. So um, that's one thing. Another reason is well, there's this idea that's very un-American in one sense that you know that you got to serve somebody. I mean, we're all here to just you know, hey, you know, like. Time magazine a couple years ago, they had like a person of the year, you know, they said, person of the year, it's you. You know, nowadays, you know, everybody's got, you know, every news article wants you to participate and give your comments and everything. And so there's this individuality and you're important and you're the center kind of sensibility and in the name of democracy and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, um, so, the, the, uh, it's a, the, the, the God idea that you've got to serve somebody, it's, it sometimes makes people a little, a little uncomfortable. Um, but again, that, along with that comes con- so many connotations. Maybe what happened to them in their childhood, you know, and they, they were molested by the priest or who knows what, you know. Um, so there are a lot of good reasons for that. But, you know, the, 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 just the semblance of... of, of of the heart of um, spiritual life in the form of fundamentalist religion is is um, not something to make a judgment about um, the theological implications of the you know, the idea that there is a center and it's not us kind of thing. I mean, you know, we can talk about it pretty pretty logically and fairly uh, compellingly, mm-hmm. and so. We try to do that, but I understand why, you know, people, oh, I'm not, you know, I don't, wasn't, I didn't think we were going to church, I thought it was going to be a yoga thing over there, you know, guys. <laughs> I want to go to church, you know, I, thought, you know, I did that, I know where to go, and, and I don't want to go, so, fair enough. Well, I did that all too, you have to understand that, you know, I was raised by the Jesuits, so, but, um, I mean, you know, there were some nice guys there too, but, but anyway, your question is so you know some people will think I want to like they'll say I'm not religious but I'm spiritual I agree with that in fact in the Bhagavad Gita Krishna says in the conclusion of the Gita Krishna says if you want to know me you have to give up religion that's what he says if you want to know me, you have to give a sarva dharma, put it yajja. Ma may come, sharanam braja. Dharma means religion. You have to give up religion if you want to know me. Hmm. He says there's a religious orientation to life, but I'm not there. I'm so remotely there that practically you could say, I'm not there. That religious or- or- orientation is, let me worship God so... I can get 
my life can improve. Hmm? Let me worship God so I can get more ignorance. So I can get more things. Hmm? I love you, God. Send a few more things. Another wife. You know, a, a, a good daughter or son or a better job or, or I want this or I want that and and uh, do this for us down here. Stop the wars, you know. Uh, start a war, you know. They pay for that too. <laughs> so I mean, this is like, you know, God's like, you got to be kidding me. That's what you want, you know. I mean, and the whole thing. <laughs> It's all ignorance. It's like, you know, it's just like birth and death is going on over and over again. You know, this kind of thing. And, and this is what you want. And I give you the thing, and then you get attached to that thing. It doesn't do what you think it will for you. And you get disappointed. And, and you never get enough. It's never, it never satisfy you. All the things in the world, you know, multiplied a million times, it won't, won't satisfy you. Because you're riding on empty. Because you're identifying with things rather than yourself. You're not a thing. So no matter how many things you get, you will never be satisfied. It never touches you. You can't get it. Hmm? That's what you want. So, okay, well, we got a system like that, you know. Um, That's kind of the the real basic idea of religion. In the Hinduism, the idea behind that side of religion is that there's all these magic potions and mass sacrifices that you do and stuff, and you get a good son, you get a good daughter, you get this, you get that. And then so people are interested in things, so it talks about it. You do this, you worship this god here, and you do this to the sun and that to the moon, and burn the fire at this time, and throw this potion in and say, oh, and, and you get it. And so you do it, and you get it. And you think, wow. So you do another one, and then you, you, what happens is what you really get, this is the idea, not the thing, but you get faith in what the, what the sacred texts are saying, that there's some magic to that, some efficacy in, in that. Hmm? And so you dive deeper into it. And as you dive deeper into it, you find that it's talking about all these things are meaningless. Stop doing them. It's a waste of time. Hmm. Sacrifice for a new husband, an old, you know, horse or whatever, you know, forget it. You're wasting your time. You're not matter. You're not a thing. Hmm. You're different. You're better. You're more. If there's anything in the world that's like God, that most resembles God, it's you. An experiencer. Consciousness. Itself is supernatural. You're a unit of consciousness. And you start thinking, wow, hey, that's cool. And so then, no more more interest in things. And now, then, the method of how to realize yourself. Hmm? And then, and it says, but you're not everything. You know, you're 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 a tiny spark. And so, then there's more to it than that. Then there's to connect with the fire, and so forth. So, um, but this is the larger face, if you will, of 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 religion in the world, and um, and. It, it, it's it got, you know, the most publicity and so forth, and so it turns a lot of people off, but still they have some spiritual kind of sensibility. So they say, uh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And, and we agree. Krishna said, this kind of religion, he says, this is, you cannot find me there. Chattu varna maya shishtam guna karma mi bhagasa. 
He said, this kind of religion, Varnashram, he says, I'm not there. I made it, but for some people, some got to start somewhere. But, uh, but what I am, hmm, you can't find me there. And at the end of the Gita, he says, Sarva Dharman Pratyajamame Kam, You've got to give up religion if you want to know me. Hmm? Now, you've got to be careful when you say this. You know, I mean, what does that mean? So, so. But we know that, that the course of experiential spirituality also is an ethically sound one. Hmm? For example, in yoga, you have yama niyama. Hmm? Yoga is a spiritual discipline. So you have things that an ethical sensibility that, this, that the yoga experience arises out of. Hmm? So you don't do this, you do that, you accept the yamas and the yam, niyama as an ethical. And so this is super-religious, what we're talking about. I mean, come on. You know, thou shalt not kill. I mean, that's not too hard to figure out. You know, That's not the like most profound spiritual statement in the world. <laughs> You shouldn't kill, you, know, you shouldn't steal. I don't know who they were talking to back then, but but we're a little different, hopefully. <laughs> of course, we steal and the insider trading and things like that, but in other ways, too, unfortunately, still in the world. But there are, anyway, there are more things to be said about spirituality. So bhakti is really a big, you know, big, big installment. But your question is that people might be interested in bhakti, but then when you bring up God, they're not interested, but they, they like the, you know, the part, and so is there a way you could do bhakti without God? <laughs> or can you do God without bhakti? Or how does it work? And something like that. I think that the, the answer to the question is very interesting in that, um, and I touched on it yesterday, that there, God is inside of bhakti. Hmm? And bhakti is the God, if you will, of God. So... Um, that's the idea. Radha, for example, in our terminology, uh, exemplifies the, the perfection of, of bhakti. Mm-hmm. And Krishna is God, and Krishna is worshipping Radha in the Leela. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a veneration of, of bhakti itself. So bhakti becomes actually like um, the deity, the way and the deity at the same time. Mm-hmm. So let people become absorbed in bhakti, but you know, but it's difficult to you, you, how you will express. Uh, anyway, let them become absorbed in bhakti. That, that that's where Krishna is found. That's where God is found. You can, because if you can't have to have love. You have to have two. Right, the two have to become one in a dynamic sense, but there have to be two. So if there is the love, then there is the loved. So, anyway, start loving is the idea somehow or other, you know. But the chanting is very nice. And, of course, Krishna's name is there. So, how's that? Something, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem in the world today. And so, I, I tend to want to talk about... I think that the Gita, for example... It's not a book about believing. It's a book about the nature of being. So it's a very philosophical book, but there is a theological side to the book also. Hmm. And when it, while it's a book about being, it speaks about things and you see, yeah, that's actually what's happening. Hmm. Like some of the things I've talked about today, you might think, 
you know, that's actually what's happening. That's interesting on a larger scale. Hmm? So we're talking about the nature of a being, the nature of our experience. That's much different than saying, believe in this, right? Which is a little foreign to us these, these days. But if we talk about the nature of being in such a way that our eyes become open to seeing it like we haven't seen it before, but it's going, yeah, that is what... Then there's some believing that's come about, not blindly, but basically your eyes have been opened to see what's something that's been right in front of you that you haven't seen. And haven't thought about it in that way. And so something tangible has come to you. Now, when the theological aspect of the Gita then comes and Krishna starts talking about himself, he's just told you about the nature of being in such a way that you go, wow. Now he's saying, and by the way, this is who I am. And you go, hold on a minute here. I like that other part, but I don't know about, you know. But you've got to think, he told you the other part, too. <laughs> and so there's, so, and there may be some things that our, uh, in order to experience them, we have to attain a certain level of, I mean, every, you know, everybody, I mean, bugs live in different dimensions, you know, than insects, and, you know, so to speak, than, than, than we do. Hmm. So, if you apply yourself with regard, th- theoretic, with regard to the theory as to the nature of being, as it makes sense to you, and it, it corresponds with your experience, if you think about it, you apply yourself, you go somewhere, and you have a van- new vantage point from which things that require some greater step of belief will, be, will not require that. But there's good reason to go there because we're only asking you to go where you can see and you, and you, but, then, but, but now you have to go there. Like if I've told you, there's a difference between yourself and the body. So you go, okay, that's cool. I'm going to go there. So you go there now. When you go there, when you get there, there'll be other things to see too. I can talk about those things they might not make as much sense to you as there's a difference between consciousness and matter, experienced or inexperienced right now. But first, understand fully that you're the, what, it, what it means to be an experiencer, what it means to be an observer. And that's, there's yoga for that. That's the challenge. As you go there, then other things will be more readily understandable as well. So work something like that. Oh, interesting topics. So I do appreciate your audience and all and the opportunity to speak with you. This is, uh, as I said in the beginning, my third day here. I come here twice a year, usually in the spring and in the fall, right? And um, in the summer, later in the summer, I'm mostly in California. You can come and visit me. We have nice ashram there and nice festivals and, and make new friends. And uh, in the context of having a party, you can enter into samadhi. So, <laughs> this is pretty nice <laughs> meditation. So, I'll ask Agni Dev to lead the chanting a little bit and then take your leave. Hare Krishna.